podcast where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to This Is Happening. We have a little This Is Happening extra. Yes! Um, we are here with our frequent co-host, Georgie Leahy. Yes, and Eric earlier smashed a glass all over my body. <laughs> he managed to drop his mimosa all over me. So that's yes. why we're delayed right now, because we yes. were just cleaning that up. We did have to do that. That kind of like took some energy from us. But we are here with Nick Drobat who for some time was the, uh, for like five years, I'm told, he was the executive director of the Clean Oceans Project, which now has a different name, which is called what now? Clean Oceans International. Clean Oceans International. And that was your interface with a global climate crisis that we have, which is, you know, I'm actually drinking a, a plastic, out of a plastic bottle, of, Terrible of, human. Of Perrier, um, you know, and we have straws, all these petroleum products end up in the ocean and have amassed in floating islands, massive floating islands. And um, the Clean Oceans Project and other organizations have formed to try to, you know, address this problem and figure out how to deal with it environmentally. And Nick, having run this organization for five years has now transitioned into from a non-profit perspective to a for-profit um, solution to this problem which would be to turn these petroleum th this petroleum material into oil that can be then you know used and, and consumed as we do oil which is it seems to, going to save the planet for it seems to solve many problems at the same time it's a it's an amazing business opportunity but it also <coughs> you know takes our own you know the humanity's waste and turns it into fuel um, which I love so I don't know that much about it Nick does let's let Nick tell us about it first of all what's your background where are you from originally born and raised in Santa Cruz California okay nice. uh, nearby Nearby, um, my education background is in law. You're a lawyer. Uh, I am not a practicing lawyer. I was pursuing that, and life got in the way, and I decided that I was going to follow a different path. Something that spoke to me on a, a little deeper many level. Many people pursuing that that the same. You know, I just yeah. like um, many people pursuing law realize like you know what? There's something else I'd rather do. Yeah, it was a um, great education, a great foundation, but yeah. it was not my path in life okay and so what led you to um, what led you to the clean oceans project what were you doing before that well oddly enough I was working in commercial construction in San Francisco when the economic downturn hit in 2007 mm -hmm. and um, the construction industry sort of imploded at that time and so I, I found myself looking for work sure and um, I was not exactly sure what direction to go in since I wasn't interested in practicing law. The construction industry was sort of locked down for the time being. So I started to get a little creative with some job idea searching. And one of the topics that kept coming up for me was environmental stuff. 
I was a I was taught to recycle by my mom when I was a really little kid before curbside bins even existed. And you're wearing a recycled T-shirt. I yeah, am. Yeah. <laughs> you got to walk the talk. Uh, so so this this topic of the uh, of the North Pacific gyre came up. That's the the plastic problem in the yeah. North Pacific Ocean. I, I would like to dispel a common uh, misunderstanding about the problem. There is no mass out there. There's nothing that you could see from space or walk on. Somebody back in the late 80s or early 90s called it Trash Island, and that name kind of stuck. Mm. And people assumed, oh, well, let's just go out there and put a flag in it and claim it for new territory. That's not at all the But the there situation. are, so not an island, but there are these, you know, gatherings of yes. material that yes. are floating around. So, so the ocean currents sort of cause a gigantic whirlpool. And in the northern hemisphere, it goes clockwise. Southern hemisphere, it goes counterclockwise. There are plastic patches like that in every major ocean. And they are all of similar size and, and intensity. Mm -hmm. um, the North Pacific was the one at the time in 2008 when I started the nonprofit. That was the one that most people were talking about, most people knew about. But I can tell you, outside of scientific circles, very few people in the general public had even heard of the problem. Mm -hmm. So, and I, is it happening because people are just discarding things and they just end up at the same place, or is it happening because of municipalities? are putting their recycling out into the ocean and that's where it goes? So, interesting question. In developed countries like ours, yeah. it is typically waste that is in watersheds that finds its way into rivers and streams when there are large rainfall events and washes out to sea. Um, certainly a lot comes from beaches, you know, people who don't pick up after themselves when they leave the beach, garbage cans blew over, things. yeah. And, you know, some of the biggest offenders, cigarette butts, helium balloons, God forbid, please don't release helium balloons, worst thing you can do for the environment. Uh, about 90% of the material out there is land-based origin. About 10% comes from maritime activities. So back in the day, cruise ships used to just throw hefty bags <gasps> overboard oh my God. all night long. Yeah, that became illegal probably, I don't know, 20 plus years ago. So they've stopped doing that. But, you know, however many cruise ships around the world have been doing that for decades, yeah. that is a big part of the material that's out there. Mm -hmm. So it as doesn't go away. it doesn't go away, it, well, it goes away in the sense that it will no longer remain on the surface after it's been at sea for a while. It does something called bioaccumulate. And what that is, sea scum, slime, algae, biological material attaches itself sure. to the yeah. particles. And as the sun, the solar radiation beats down on plastic, it becomes brittle and it breaks up into smaller pieces. So say a laundry basket or a lawn chair winds up out there. It'll stay whole for a few years, but as it gets brittle and breaks and it begins to bioaccumulate, it'll sink. Yeah. So the sad thing is, we just saw a report recently, the Monterey um, Submarine Canyon, which is the second, I believe it's the second deepest in the world, next to the Marianas Trench. They recently sent a, uh, a ROV, unarmed, excuse me, un unmanned vehicle down to the bottom of that trench, and they found plastic all over the bottom, and I believe it's about seven miles deep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So our garbage has found its way into every place in the ocean. Oh. Yeah, <clears throat> it's not surprising, and it is sad. So, um, 
what was the mission of the Clean Oceans Project, and what were the, what were the solutions that you were um, focused on there? At the time, we didn't have a clue. When we first started the organization, my partner, Jim Holm, uh, and I started this in 2008, we didn't really have an idea. We were, we were incensed about the problem because we were both water people, both of us sail, both of us scuba dive. He was a big surfer. So we were offended at the, at the issue to begin with. And as we researched it, we realized that there were people researching it, talking about it, but nobody was talking about trying to clean it up. Yeah. Scuba diving is extraordinary. I have done I that. Love it too. Don't you love it? And you really see like this, you know, like this, you know, seascape, this whole world that exists that on most of the planet. Seventy percent of the planet is covered in water, and it's fascinating to see what's there. And uh, you know, there's only it's only accessible to to us, you know, to a limited extent, and um, you know. What we've done, you know, as uh, you know, humanity with our waste and things, it's not good. It's not, and it's, it's. There are so many pressing environmental issues coming upon us at one time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it feels almost impossible to imagine turning the ship around. Um, you know, from climate change to pollution to you know, you name it. There, there are so many, so many problems facing the environment. But the, but the reason that the ocean is so important. The oceans are the lungs of the planet. Right. It is the source of weather. It is the source of oxygen. And it, it represents about 60% of the protein that's consumed on this planet around the world. So as oceans become warmer, as coral becomes bleached, as acidification levels increase, you're going to start... And overfishing, not to mention overfishing. You know, unregulated international waters with overfishing these population of fish are going to start crashing. Mm. And you're seeing all sorts of footage on the news lately about beautiful whales washing ashore dead and, <laughs> and dolphins whose intestinal tracts are full of plastic. Mm. This stuff, when it's floating in the water, looks a lot like jellyfish. If you take a, if you take a, a dry cleaner bag or a, or a grocery bag, plastic grocery bag, if you put it in water, it, it resembles a jellyfish. Oh, and a lot of those creatures consume jellyfish in their diet so they're ingesting this stuff it fills up their gut it blocks their intestines they starve to death so at the beginning of your five-year journey there and you were saying like okay you were incensed about the project the, the problem you started to reach out uh, to other people researching it and doing something about it what what over the five years that you were there how did it evolve and, and what did you find that you could do it was a nonprofit. you were looking for people to donate to address the issue, how were they doing that? Well, so what we recognized were there were three components to the project. We needed to be able to find plastic in large enough concentrations. But the North Pacific is 95 million square miles. Mm. The plastic problem exists in probably 40% of that area, but the distribution is so broad. If you can imagine a hundred pound sack of plastic fragments spread over an acre. Imagine how, how dispersed that is. So it wouldn't be practical to cover, you know, 50 million square miles to pick up that much material. Yeah. But, but we had a, a theory, I, I won't say we, my partner had a theory. He was a professional boat captain for years. He understood currents and wind patterns and that sort of thing. 
And he recognized that this material, while it was floating, would behave in certain ways around current lines. It would gather in some areas. Imagine if you're walking down the street on a windy day in the fall, all the leaves blow into the gutter. Not very many leaves in the middle of the street. Yeah. That's because of wind patterns. Sure. Yeah. So if we could find the equivalent at sea, heavier concentrations, we believed we could cover less territory and pick up significantly more material. Focus clean up where the actual, where, it's, where the debris what? is a mass. Where it's yeah. congregating. Yeah. Right. Okay. Second was, how do we actually physically remove it from the water without damaging sea life? That was a big thing for us. Mm. You know, you can't just put out a huge net and scoop up everything because you're going to get everything from, you know, big mammals to tiny krill, plankton. You don't want to do that. So we had to figure out a way that was efficient and cost effective, but that didn't damage sea life. And then the, the third component was if we're successful finding it and we're successful removing it, what do you do with it? You're thousands of miles offshore in the middle of the ocean you can't continue to fill your boat with that material indefinitely at some point you got to get rid of it and the idea of trucking it all the way back to land posed a lot of problems incredibly expensive in fuel and time and who on land wants to receive the kind of volume that we were talking about. I mean, it's all come from there. People have tried to get rid of it once. Yes. And then you're yeah. right. it back to them. Right. But if, if you show up on the West Coast of the United States, somebody's going to say, well, that's not all of our garbage. That, some of that came from the other side of the ocean. Sure. So then you've got an issue like, we don't want it, not in my backyard. Right. So totally coincidentally, I discovered a technology. I, I didn't discover it myself. I learned of a technology yeah. called pyrolysis, which essentially thermally deconstructs petroleum-based plastics and tires, returns it to its original state of petroleum. And we thought, wow, this could be be the silver bullet. So we, we explored with a company in Japan the idea of miniaturizing one of these plants so so that it would fit on the deck of a ship. So what we would do is we would go to sea, we would use our technology package to locate these current lines where the congregation, the material was congregating. We would use our handy little uh, revolving conveyor belt to actually physically pull it up out of the sea. We would deposit that material on the deck and then we would feed it into this pyrolysis equipment, convert it to oil. Now, what do you do with oil? You put it back in the boat. So you don't have a waste disposal problem. You don't have to drive it back to land and you don't have to fill your boat with fuel. You're making oil, you're making fuel for the vessel at sea. That was not a cheap proposition. Compared to the problem, it was pretty inexpensive, but it, we figured it would cost somewhere between three and $5 million to put our first full-scale vessel together. So we went out into the, first we started in the community then we sort of broadened it into industry. Then we started broaden, broadening it even further into you know, investor groups that were known for you know, raising money for green projects like ours. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, after five years, we had a couple of really close calls with some large investors that sort of got cold feet at the, at the last minute, and, and it didn't happen. So at that point, needing to make a, an honest living. I, I told my partner that I was going to have to part ways. He was great. He decided that he was going to continue the mission 
and sort of shifted gears more from an action-based approach to more uh, education and advocacy. So he and his wife are continue to travel the world. They give TED Talks, they teach school kids, they do beach cleanups. They're great. They, they're, they're really carrying on the, on the project. The company that I'm currently working with is trying to commercialize that technology on a really large scale. Right. Because about a year and a half ago, the Chinese government shut down importing all yeah. recyclable materials. China and some other countries in Southeast Asia were taking about 75% of the plastic waste from the globe. And they were using it, unfortunately, they were using it as fuel because the BTU value of plastic, petroleum-based plastic, is so high. It's cheaper to burn than coal. They would shovel it into furnaces and make heat to make electricity and various other uses for it. But with no environmental controls, the emissions were horribly toxic. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the government decided we're not going to do this. We're not going to. We're not going to be the world's dump anymore. Right. So they stopped it instantly, and there were hundreds of cargo vessels around the world already loaded with plastic on their way to China. They got no warning, and they show up in China and they say, "Nope, take it home. We're not accepting it." And nobody at home wants to take it back. So at this minute, there are still commercial shipping vessels offshore full of plastic with nowhere to go. So if they we, just had to dock somewhere? Or some like, of them aren't even docking because it costs an enormous amount of money right. to dock Stop, a right. vessel like that. Oh my so, so there is a mad scramble to find countries that will still accept it despite the horrible environmental impact that it has of burning it. How much, um, so, because the, the way you described it at first, you know, you would uh, refuel the boat, but mm -hmm. I mean, w is, is the idea that you would, you know, be able to generate as much, you know, enough fuel that it would have a purpose beyond that vessel, that it would then be commercially available to sell? Well, so the idea of creating a single vessel was was more a prototype concept. Okay. Okay. It, it alone would not have really any significant impact on the problem. Once we proved the technology worked, the intention was to have 10, 20, yeah. 50 of these things out there all around. Collecting. Right. Um, it's hard to say, you know, this, this was all theoretical. We, we did not actually get the opportunity to go out and test our hypothesis, unfortunately. Well, not yet. But that's, not yet. That's the point of Once what you're doing. What's this. the name of, of the organization that you're a part of now? Green Envirotech. Green Envirotech. Yes. Green Envirotech is a for-profit company that works with green technologies, specifically alternative fuels. And the idea is that we will put our plants in various places around the country so that we can we can sort of take the weight off of municipalities that are just drowning in plastic right now and right. tires as well. So, it, okay. So it would be a, you know, a, a solution for recycling, turning these products into fuel, not solely based on going to find the material that's floating in the ocean, but it's also would be like from the source, you know, like instead of, you know, putting your tires in a landfill or, you know, paying, you know, you know, this place in New Jersey to become like this dump or whatever, 
um, you know, uh, you would be finding a use for those products. It's funny you mentioned New Jersey. That's one of four project sites we're working on right now. <laughs> But well, yes, the I, I know New Jersey is filled with dumps. I've got to be there on Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, it's also very beautiful as well. Yeah. Lots of parts of it are beautiful, but so the idea is to create these land-based commercial plastic and tires to fuel projects. If you can commoditize a waste product, people are less likely to throw it around and less likely for it to you know blow out into the environment. Once that technology sort of is. Um, once it's commercialized, once it's accepted in different municipalities, if the funding and the interest is still there, I'm pretty confident that my my old partner in Clean Oceans Project and I could put together a, a team and get a, a prototype out to sea and start addressing the issue out in the ocean. That's great. I hope so. Yeah, that's really great. I love that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that much about it, but I mean, I've heard things about recycling you know how we all like are determined like okay well this is my plastic that i'm going to put this in here and i've heard that there are municipalities that just throw it all in the same place they don't do it like you can pretend that you're recycling but it's not actually happening so there are some places in this country believe it or not that still to this day have no recycling program they have one bin and it's just garbage whether it's glass plastic paper whatever but even those that have separate bins so not one, all of them actually do anything with it well they were doing most of them were doing something with it until this blockade in china occurred. Mm -hmm. okay. okay now because okay. Now. yeah now they really don't have anywhere for it to go now i'm not saying that shipping it to china so they could burn it in a furnace was a reasonable method for disposal and recycling it's really not but now they they don't even have that option which is why pyrolysis right now is such a hot topic a lot of companies are trying it not very many of them successfully i think we've got the better mousetrap to be perfectly honest with you we're you know we're out looking for funding to bring this to reality now mm -hmm. um, how do people learn about your efforts how do they uh, if someone's interested in what you're doing is what's your website or how do you reach out to people so greenenvirotech.com is our website. Greenenvirotech.com. Yep. I will, of course, put that in the description of this episode. Yep. So that's a good place to learn a little bit about the technology, a little bit about the company, a little bit about the management team and what we've been up to. Um, the founder of the company, my boss, Gary De Laurentiis, started this about 10 years ago, and he's put almost 20 million bucks into the development of this company and this mm. technology over the last 10 years. He's taken it from just a, an idea that you know nobody really had a whole lot of faith in to something that we could roll out with the funding. We could roll it out in a week, and it's ready to go. And it's a matter of just making sure it's a proof of concept that this that this that the end product is what you want it to be. No, we've actually gone a lot farther than that. Okay. We we had a demonstration facility built in China. Um, one of the components of the system is manufactured in China. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so that manufacturer, we went to them and said, look, you know, we've got to have a plant to show investors to put this kind of money into something. People want to kick the tires. Yeah. So we can't go with hat in hand and get, you know, the kind of money yes, that we need good. to do yeah. this. So the manufacturer built a test system in his warehouse, in his manufacturing floor, and we sent over an engineering firm, independent engineering firm, 
and had, uh, I think it was a five-day test. The system ran 24 hours a day and processed plastic and tires and we captured the fuel, we captured the off-gas, we hired an independent global uh, chemical company that does analysis. So they do a chain of custody to determine, you know, that nobody's playing around with the gas or the oil to make sure that, you know, what came out is what's actually captured. We had the analytics done. The oil product that we produce is of such a high grade that we have already received a contract from a, a large oil company saying that if you can make it to this spec, we'll buy everything that you can make. That's wow. amazing. Yeah, so so we currently have this this engineering firm issued us a process certification, which essentially means we've seen it. It does what they say it does. If you invest in it, you can count on us to stand behind it. That's great. We've got an oil company that said we will buy it all. We've got uh, feedstock agreements with a number of plastic and tire aggregators for the feedstock. We have an insurance company that has agreed to put what's called an insurance wrap around the project, which essentially means if any part of this project fails, you investor, you don't lose your money. We will pay you wow. what your you know what your normal monthly, quarterly, annual income would be until the problem is resolved. That's the insurance wrap. So we really have done just about every bit of this other than build a project. But we're hoping that once investors learn about the upside, for those who understand finance, it's about a 45 to 55% EBITDA, earnings before interest tax and depreciation. Right. Um, extremely lucrative. It pays for itself in five to seven years. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a small entry. Uh, the, the upfront cost is significant, but the long-term earning potential of the project is, is pretty significant. Well, and it's also, you know, in addition to being a good investment opportunity, it's doing good for the planet. Right. You know, doing which good I, for your karma. I've got a bunch of people I'm going to talk to about this now. Yeah, making making money and a difference. And um, I I love it. I, I'm really glad to know about it. Um, as we want to get the word out, you know, through this podcast and also through our through own our networks circles, of people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we both know people that... Thank you for doing what you're doing. I go out and raise money for things all the time and uh, talk to people who I think would really respond to this. So in any case, thank you very much, Nick, for coming on. This is happening. This I'm little sorry, this I is happening talk, extra. I didn't, I didn't talk too much because I, I was distracted by this kitty. <laughs> I, this very, I was distracted by the knowledge. I had the same thing with John's podcast. Like, yeah. When I'm in a podcast, when I don't know what's going to happen, I'm I, I'm like a listener. I'm just like, so yeah. I'm just enthralled by everything that you were talking about. So I can't wait for other people to listen. And because uh, ignorance is bliss, isn't it? And I've I've kind of lived like that a little bit in my yeah. life. Like I'm like, oh, it hurts too much to know about this. So I sort of stay out of it. But when you learn about it and you know that when you're learning about it, that actually there's something you can do to help. And we can all do yeah. our bit. It's really, it's, it's beautiful to get the message. I love that because, yeah, because like trying to like contemplating what, what to do about global warming and the issue is just like the planet is being destroyed it in front of our eyes. We see that. It, yeah. We see that, you know, coral reefs are becoming extinct. We see that these changes in weather, weather patterns, you know, certain part, you know, parts of um, certain 
places that are above water now won't be where people live you yeah. know and it's just and it's happening so you know and we have a president that denies it so um you know we hopefully you're um successful in your efforts and we really appreciate it well thank you guys and thank you for helping us get the word out if anybody does want to reach out uh, in addition to going to the website you can always email me at nick d that's nick d like david nick d at greenenvirotech.com Happy to answer questions, happy to field interest for investment. And, you know, it is a big problem. There are lots of big problems. Do what you can on a daily basis and know that there are a lot of really smart people doing their best to try and figure out solutions. All right. I feel like we're in, we're in the, the hub of it. California is really doing their bit. Mm -hmm. So thank you to everyone that's doing yep. their bit to save the environment. No one stop. Don't lose faith. Don't, Don't lose hope. We can still, there are actually things we can there's do. Ways to, yep. there's, there's ways to save this beautiful planet that we live in, that we can see the ocean yes. right now. What, what a better place to talk about. We're enjoying what's a beautiful day in Malibu. While and seeing this um, beautiful ocean. You know, and it's, you know, it would be to save all of that yep. and the whole planet um, for this. So thank you very much. It was be my pleasure. Human. Thank you. Peace and love. Bye. Thank you. Mwah.